Well, I like that, that, uh, that part of the video when the people were praying over the boxes. You know, and I think that, it, like everything that we do for the Lord, it, it's, it's, it's something that should be from our hearts. It's something that should be led by the Holy Spirit. You know, it's easy to just, you know, throw a few quarters in the Salvation Army bucket when you're walking into Walmart and, and, and to not be purposeful in, in what we're doing. I, I, I think that everything that we do for the Lord should be by the leading of His Spirit and it should be purposeful. You know, I mean, it's great to just be a good person, too. That's wonderful to just be a good person. I'm glad you guys are just nice people as well. But when it comes to things like this, I think, I think as, a, as a church, I mean, just watching that video, I mean, goodness gracious, if you can't get excited to pack up a box for one of those kids, right? But, but to, to be purposeful in it and to be praying over those boxes, exactly what we're talking about, what Bonnie said is, you know, there's, there's, there's evil people out there. There are evil and corrupt governments, as we know, um, that would be willing to take these from the, can you imagine that? Why on earth would you do that? It's not like there's money in it. It's toys and stuff. Um, but the gospel is dangerous, right? Make no mistake about it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is dangerous. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a reason, you know, we as Christians, we shouldn't get upset, you know, because you, 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 maybe you've heard in Christian circles before, well, it's, you can't make fun of this and you can't make fun of that, but you can make fun of Jesus. Don't get angry at that. I understand that that's a proof in your life. What is so dangerous about Jesus? You know, what is so threatening about Jesus? Well, I can tell you, what's threatening about Jesus Christ is that he wants the heart of a human being. He doesn't need your, 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 your money. He doesn't need you to attend every single church service. He doesn't need you to do all of these different religious things. Jesus Christ wants your heart. The deepest, darkest, dungeonous, most dungeonous places and in the deepest regions of our psyche and our soul and our heart and who we are that we hide from everybody, Jesus wants in. He wants in and he never shies away from that and he never flinches and he never withdraws from us at our own ugliness. But he says, I want to enter in. I want to come into every single part of your life, even the most darkest corners, and I want to illuminate them with my love and with my spirit and with the word of God. It is the most beautiful, wonderful, but remember what the scripture says, to those who are perishing, that would be those who have no desire, who have no, 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 no kind of will whatsoever to be transformed or to know God or to have anything to do with the light. We are the very stench of death to those people. It is a repugnant thing, but that is never for us to be offended by but us to continue to press forward, to be prayerful and asking God, how can we as a church, how can we as a family, how can we as individuals serve you in these last days? How can we go forward and perpetuate the kingdom of God being introduced into the lives of people? Because it has to be a leading and a moving of his Holy Spirit. You know, because like Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. There's no scheme of man. There's no, there's no darkness. There's no evil that can ever stop the work of God from happening. Nothing, nothing. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that's the God we serve. And that's a beautiful thing. So, uh, yeah, prayerfully consider, um, uh, these, these, these shoe boxes is, it's just an amazing thing. I can't wait to pack one full of inappropriate toys. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All the toys that I would have wanted. <laughs> Some fireworks and <laughs> this one's from America. Throw it away. <laughs> oh, let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and, and uh, we glorify you. We thank you. We praise you, Lord. You're so good to us. You're so loving. You're so gracious. You're so kind, Father. Uh, Lord, and we're so thankful, Father, that we're not judged according to the law, but we're judged according to the very holiness of Jesus Christ, who put himself in our place and took our judgment for the fact that we are lawbreakers, so that we just look to him, Lord. We don't have to look to the law anymore. We can look to Jesus. And yet, as we study your perfect law together, Lord, and we understand that Jesus also said, I've not come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill it. And anyone who teaches somebody to not obey these laws will be least in the kingdom of heaven. We understand that this is still your heart, Father. This is still the depth of holiness, uh, Lord, that, that is who you are. And so we ask, Lord God, that we would still, as we go through these things, we would still try to ask of you and seek you, Lord. How can we apply these things to our lives? Where does it make sense for the believer to put these things into practice so that we can honor you uh, in every book of the Bible, Father, and in every day of our lives? Lord, have your way in us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So we are in the book of Leviticus. <clears throat> Leviticus. And we are in verse, picking up in verse 19, and I'm going to try to, try to just go through it verse by verse. There's a lot of stuff in here, and it's, this is one of the fun chapters or easier chapters to do, I would say, because it's very straightforward. It's very easy to understand. And this is God revealing his heart to the children of Israel through Moses. This is God saying, all the things that you've done in your life and all the things that you've learned about, remember that they were in, in Egypt for hundreds of years they were in Egypt. And so they were accustomed to all of the practices of the Egyptians. And they were going to be going into the land of Canaan. And they were going to be subjected to just absolute wickedness and darkness. And the customary ways in which the people of that land worship their false gods. And God is always looking to make a distinction between the light and the darkness. It's not something that we should take lightly. It's not something that we should ever just brush off and say, well, it's the old covenant or well, it's this or that. No, this was God speaking his heart. And the Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. We need to be mindful and understanding as Christians to the fact that there's probably things that we do in our lives every single day or multiple things that we do in our lives every single day that may very well vex the heart of God. We need to be open to that understanding. Not that you walk around with some horrific burden upon you. Everything I do is wickedness. It's, it's, this is what grace and mercy is, is that we rejoice in the fact that God has lifted these burdens from us. We rejoice in the fact that our work, the work that we do for God, is to believe in the one whom he sent, Jesus Christ. That is, that is your salvation, that is your sanctification, and that will be your glorification. But in the midst of that, we as believers ought to, like Paul says, strain towards that prize, that goal that's set before us, like an athlete training to win the crown. We should be pushing ourselves. We should be allowing ourselves to go through training, vigorous training, and to strain forward toward the higher calling of God. We want to reflect the image of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we ought to walk in his steps. Well, Jesus Christ was perfect according to the law. He was not perfect according to the traditions of men. Remember this. The Pharisees and, were, and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law were always getting after Jesus, and they were calling him a lawbreaker, but Jesus never broke one law that God had given to Moses. And remember what he said to them when he rebuked them. He said, you teach 
for the, for you teach for doctrine the tr- the traditions of men the hand washings and all the different things and all the various laws and burdens that they had put upon the people uh, concerning the Sabbath day and so on and so forth. And Jesus is like, this is not worship that you're doing. You're laying burdens upon men. You're, you're, you're putting a yoke upon them that God never intended. But make no mistake, Jesus was perfect according to the law. And the Bible says that we ought to walk in his steps. So let's go through this and see what we can learn from Leviticus. Uh, chapter uh, 19 and verse 19, you shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your livestock breed with another kind. You shall not sow your field with mixed seed, nor shall a garment of mixed linen and wool come upon you. What the heck is God talking about here? Why no mixing? Remember, all the things that God was teaching the children of Israel, some of them were were very basic, some of them were very straightforward, some of them were for, for cleanliness so that they wouldn't get diseases, a lot of the dietary restrictions were because of that. But a lot of what God commanded the children of Israel in their lives and in their worship was pointing to something more important, was giving them a picture of a spiritual idea that he wanted them to understand in their hearts. The Bible is very clear about the idea of never mixing the sacred with the profane. The Bible is very clear in the fact that light is never to have anything to do with darkness. Not that one kind of uh, garment or one kind of material is, is holy and one kind of material is unholy, but it was this idea of, of, of that God isn't looking for you to go into the land of Canaan and blend. God is not looking for us as believers to go into the world and blend. If everyone thinks I'm cool and wonderful all the time, I'm probably not doing my job. Because at certain points, and I want people to see me and see that I'm just a dude. I want them to know I'm just like them. I am no better than anybody else. I'm just a guy like everybody else. But I also want them to see the stamp of God, the seal of God upon me. I want them to know and understand that I've been set apart for a different and a higher purpose and calling. Not because I'm better, but because I believe. That's what I want them to see. And there's a distinction that's going to be made. There's parties I'm not going to be invited to by my friends. You know, I was joking around with, with some, of the, uh, some of the motocross kids and talking about how, you know, when we go, the FCA goes to the motocross banquets where they give out all the, re, all the awards and stuff. I think it's in, it's in January, right, or something like that. And, and it, it is a drinking party, man. I mean, it is a drinking party. People are there to get lit up, you know. And, and, and we're there to talk about camp and to pray over the meal and all this stuff. And it's just like... I don't, I don't walk in and see people get drinking and getting drunk and go, oh, you know, look at the wicked, Lord, strike them down. You know, it's like, not at all, not at all. They're doing what people do. They're doing what people do. The reason that the Bible says, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be full of the Holy Spirit, is not because God is standing up for I just hate alcohol. What God hates is the results of sin. And drunkenness, the Bible says, is a sin. God doesn't want us to be drunk. He doesn't want to be us to be out of our minds. He, doesn't want us, he wants us to be sober-minded and vigilant. You see, that's the idea. It's not that we walk in and see people drinking beer or wine and go, oh, you know, there's sin in this place. And we as Christians, our job is not to judge that kind of thing. Our job is to just shine the light, Right? So I'm not there to say, well, you know, you really shouldn't be drinking that. I'm not there to do that. 
I'm not there to do that at all. I'm just there to say, hey, we're here. Jesus loves you. Let's ride dirt bikes, you know. That's it. But it's amazing how people will avoid me like the plague at these things. Uh, you know, I'm like, hey, oh, okay, you know what I mean? It's like, and then at other times, when everyone's in their right mind and everything's, that people, those same people will come to me and approach me and talk to me about stuff. But, but it's, it's just simply a distinction that's made there. Because you're, you're called apart. You're called out from amongst the people to be set aside. Remember, the Bible says that we are a kingdom of priests. We're a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood. And so in, in Leviticus, when God is going through all the laws concerning putting the, the priest into the service of the tabernacle and later the temple, you see all of these things and all these ceremonial things that were done in taking this man and, be, and turning him into a priest of God. The blood of the sacrifice put on the, put on the ear, on the lobe of the ear, the things that I hear. What kind of things am I willing to hear? And put on the thumb. What am I willing to put my hand to on the big toe? Where do I send my feet? Everything that I do should be in the service of God. That's the idea that's there. And so when God talks about not intermingling, and some people have used this uh, in, in, in our history to say that interracial dating or interracial marriage, that has nothing to do with this whatsoever. Okay, Just so everybody knows, Moses married a black woman. Do you guys know that? He married a Cushite, and his sister, remember, remember, was all angry at him, and Aaron was angry at him because of the wife that he had. He married a black wife, and they were very angry and upset at him. Remember, the Lord struck Miriam with leprosy, and then, she, and then Moses prayed for her, and she was healed. God doesn't give a rip. There's one race, the human race. <clears throat> when I talk to my daughters as they're getting older, and I talk to them about relationships and all of these different things, we have the talk and all that stuff, and I believe it or not, I'm the one that does that. Can you imagine that, that scene? Um, <clears throat> and I tell them, these are the three requirements that I have for any young man who, who, would, who would want to date you or, or enge- become engaged to you or marry you. My first and largest rule is that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not that they say, oh yeah, I believe in God. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe. Who is Jesus and what is he to you? And I want this in uh, a 15-page letter, you know. <clears throat> Who is Jesus and what is he to you? I want an answer. I want an answer. Watch the movie. You know, no, no, no. I want to know that he has a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The second thing is that he puts you first. Because if he knows Jesus Christ, then he knows the word, and he knows what the Bible says, that husbands ought to love their wives, that they ought to put their wives' needs above their own, and treat them the way Christ treated the church, washing them with the water of the word, and giving himself away for her, that he has a servant's heart towards you, not to do what you say, don't get it twisted, ladies, but to serve you the way Jesus serves us, the way Jesus served his disciples. He was the unmitigated leader of that group, and yet he washed their feet. That's how husbands ought to be. I want to see that. Can you believe this tall order? They're going to be living with me forever. That's really the plan. (laughs) And thirdly, that he's a hard worker. That he's a hard worker. I don't care where he works. I don't care if he works for the city. I don't care. I don't give a rip what job he has. If he's a hard worker, he's going to take care of you. He's going to understand that he has a responsibility to take care of you and your children. Those are the three rules. And I put my daughter on the spot. When she, when she went to college for her first year last year, and she called me, and she said, I met a boy today. And I was like, kill him. You know, and and uh, 
she was, I met a boy today and, and, and he would like to, to go out. And I was like, okay. And she said, well, I, I, just, I just want you to know, I know you really don't care, but I just want you to know he, he's African-American. It's almost as though she didn't really believe <laughs> that I wouldn't freak out about her dating a black guy. And I said, is that, is that one of my rules? Is that on there? And he better be white. <laughs> what? What? Absolutely not. I would rather have, first of all, I would love caramel grandbabies, okay? Let me just say that. I would love that. But second of all, I would rather have my daughter be with a person from a different culture than mine that maybe sometimes I don't understand, who looks differently than than I do, who loves Jesus and loves my daughter and is a man of God than some white bread cracker. No, I'm just saying than some white guy or or whatever that looks like me and has a lot of interest that I do that doesn't really love Jesus and isn't going to put her first and isn't a hard worker. Please. God is always interested in the things of the heart. That's what he's interested in. I mean, he doesn't care about that other stuff. There's one race, the human race, and the Bible's very clear about it. In God's kingdom, there is no race. There is no difference between male and female. God has given us divine roles within the word of God, but in his eyes, we are absolutely 100% equal to one another. And the same thing goes with the races. There's no preferred race. I mean, for heaven's sakes. And if there was, it would probably be the Asians. They're way smarter than we are. I don't know. Was that politically incorrect? <laughs> it was try- I was trying to compliment him. All right. We should love. Who cares? Who cares what people look like? You know what I'm saying? It doesn't make any difference what people look like. Just love people, man. People are just people. I mean, we're reading out of the Bible. This is thousands and thousands of years ago that this was taken. People haven't changed at all. Cultures have changed. Times have changed. Technologies have changed and things like that. But people haven't changed a lick. Uh, And that's the reason for a lot of these laws. So the purpose of God saying not mixing is that we were not to... To, to mix the light and the darkness. They were in no way in their life or in their worship to mix together the sacred and the profane. Uh, verse 20. Whoever lies carnally with a woman who is betrothed to a man uh, as a concubine and who has not at all been redeemed nor given her freedom, for this shall be scourging, but they shall not be put to death because she was not free. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord, to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, a ram as a trespass offering. The priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering before the Lord for his sin which he has committed. And the sin which he has committed shall be forgiven him. Um, so, th- th- and this is, these are one of those tricky spots in the Bible. Anytime that God was dealing with slavery, when God was, you got to remember, okay, slavery was abolished recently in the history of this world. Recently in the history of this world. It, the, uh, a lot of historians um, think that in the, in the time of the Romans, the, the population was roughly 80% slaves. Slavery is something that goes back to the beginning of, of after the fall of man. Slavery has always been around. That doesn't make it okay. That doesn't mean that one person exercising dominion over another person by force is the will of God by any stretch of the imagination. It just simply is. And do you know why it is? Because people are evil. Because people are evil. Because people are sinful in their hearts and selfish in their hearts. That's why there's slavery. 
And so when God is giving the law to the children of Israel, when he's giving them these laws and he even deals with slavery, he's like, why is he even dealing with slavery? Because he's dealing with what he's got. He's working with what he has. That's the culture. That's the environment. It was tough to be a woman. It was really tough to be a woman in those days. And it was tough to be a slave. But the reality of it was they were. They were there. And so God is like, this is how they're to be treated. This is how this, these certain things are to be handled. Now, if a woman was betrothed to a man and she had adultery, she committed a, it would be considered adultery if she had a relationship with another man. Even if they weren't married, that was considered adultery. And that was a capital crime. The woman and the man would be stoned to death. That's why it was such an unbelievable act of faith for Mary to say to Gabriel, behold, the handmaiden of the Lord. Because it was the death sentence, what she, was, what she was going to be accused of. Not maybe, what she was going to be accused of. And it shows what a just and righteous man and, and, a, and how much Joseph really loved Mary for the fact that he was going to put her away quietly and not bring shame upon her. Because it was the death penalty. But not if the girl was a slave and she had not been given her freedom yet. So what would happen is, even though she's a servant, somebody says, I would like her to be a wife. That's what a concubine means. It's like a servant wife. And I want her to be my wife. But before she would be actually married to him, she would be given her freedom. At that point in time, she would be a free woman when she was married to one of the sons of Israel. But up until that time, she was still a servant. And so, and, 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 and there's a lot of different speculation and reasons and ideas. Why did God not require the death penalty, at least for the guy, if he's not a slave? Um, but it says there's to be a scourging. What some kind of a, whether it's a whipping or a beating or whatever the case may be, there was to be some retribution for that sin that had taken place, but it was not a capital offense. It was not a capital offense because she's not free. And and in my heart, I think I wonder if God was just like, you know, here's a woman who is a servant and, and, and who knows the reasons why she's having this relationship with this guy, but she's not free to make her own choices. She's not free to do her own thing. Who knows what kind of pressures are there? I, I don't know any of that. All I know is this is what the Word of God says. So if that didn't make sense to you, you can have better luck. You can, you can go read the commentaries yourself and see what you come up with. Then you can come tell me. Uh, verse 23. When you come into the land and have planted all kinds of trees for food, then you shall count their fruit as uncircumcised. Now remember when he says, un, how the heck do you circumcise a fruit, Right? Well, the way he's, uh, he's talking about, remember, circumcision was what separated the Jew from the Gentile. Circumcision what was sep- what is what w- was what was separated, okay, the worshiper of Yahweh, of Jehovah God, and the profane worshipers of false gods and idols and demons, okay? The circumcision, that was the thing that was set apart. It wasn't circumcision itself. The New Testament gets into this in depth. It's circumcision of the heart that matters, not the circumcision of the flesh. Circumcision was a sign that God gave to Abraham so that all of his people would be set apart. There would be a separation there. And it's no coincidence that God required a cutting away of the flesh and, I might add, a portion of the flesh that you're going to miss. <laughs> okay? Right? Uh, 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 really, I'm being honest. I'm not trying to be funny. Uh, of something that's very near and dear... <laughs> to a man, and that part of the flesh to be cut away, it wasn't by accident. I mean, can I just trim my nails? You, you know what I mean? You know, can I get, get, get some, something a little off the side? Of, hey, you know, that, well, that, well, that's why you do it when they're babies. They don't remember it, first of all. 
I always feel for Stephen, or uh, excuse me, Timothy. Because remember, because of certain Jews that were in the areas that they were ministering, Paul took, took uh, Timothy and circumcised him. A grown man. Ooh. I mean, you know, ladies, you say, you, you have no idea what childbirth is like, right? I'm sure Timothy was like, you have no idea. <laughs> you know what I mean? What I've been through. Um, but the circumcision is the separation, okay? So, so when God says uh, this fruit, the first three years, this fruit is to be considered as uncircumcised. Remember, they're going to be in the land of Canaan. And God specifically said that the land was defiled because of the wickedness of the inhabitants. God, God sees his creation as being sacred because he created it. Like we've talked about the sacredness of the blood. Now, we're not going to get into like tree hugging in here, okay? And Mother Earth worship and all that nonsense. But God created the earth. And it's sacred because God created it. He actually says uh, in Revelation that God will destroy those who destroy the earth. God does want us to be responsible people, okay? And when there was that great wickedness in the land, God saw the very land as being polluted. That's why he talks about in the Bible, the earth cry groaning, groaning for its redemption. It's as though the earth itself is laden down with the wickedness of the people that inhabit it. And God says, so when you come into the land and the fruit begins to grow, understand that in your eyes it is to be uncircumcised. It is uncircumcised because the land has been polluted. Um, let's see. Three years that shall be uncircumcised to you, it shall not be eaten. Verse 24. But in the fourth year, all of its fruit shall be holy, a praise to the Lord. Now remember, before they ate any of their harvest, first they were to give a first fruits offering to the Lord. A first fruits offering. What God is telling them is all the fruit in the fourth year, every single tree, every single plant, every single thing that produces its crop in harvest time in the fourth year is mine. I want you to give it to me. I want it to be offered to me. And then the fifth year and from then on, every single one of those plants, every single one of those things is yours to be free, to freely enjoy. It's one of those things where you're like, you know, immediately when I'm reading this, I'm like, why? Lord, I mean, you know that this is, this is you know, the land, dirt can't really be polluted by sin in a material way. It can be polluted by other things, but it can't be polluted by, by sin. That's just a spiritual thing. But why? Well, exactly. It's a spiritual thing. And even though the dirt can't actually be polluted by sin... God says, in your hearts and in your minds, I want you to be continually reminded of how I regard sin and how I regard wickedness and idolatry. I want you to be thoughtful and mindful of it. And I want you to, in the actions of your life, in the things that you do in your life, in your everyday life, I want those to reflect your understanding of that concept. And so I want you to let the land grow, but I don't want you to harvest any of it the first year, the second year, the third year. I want you to let it grow and then dr drop off and rot. You can't eat any of it, and I don't want any of it. Wait till the fourth year, and then all of that harvest, all of that crop, I want you to give it to me. And then after that, in the fifth year, it's yours. It's yours to enjoy. God would still get a first fruits, but then it's yours to enjoy. I think God just wanted to make them wait. I really do. I think God just wanted them to do this as an exercise in faith and obedience. You know God will do that in your life? 
There's certain things, there's certain situations that God will put you in in your life because he just wants to force you into a, into a position where you have to exercise patience and obedience. It may not make any sense whatsoever to you. And it may not even be for a specific purpose in this life. It may be simply and fully for a spiritual harvest in your life. That God may allow things or put you in circumstances or situations. Because he wants to see our obedience. So the Jewish person who in their, in their, in their first year, their second year, their third year, they obeyed the commandment of God. Now, you know as well as I do, you know as well as I do there was plenty of people who didn't obey. Right? You know there was people who snuck some. If not the first year, the second year, the third year, definitely the fourth year. They were like, well, this fruit's perfect. You know, you know there were some. And maybe some of them had no conscience about it whatsoever. Maybe some of them accused God and said God was unjust because he had made this unreasonable requirement of them where they couldn't have any of the heart. There it is, there it is. God grew it, God made it grow, and I can't have it. It doesn't make any sense. And so they justified their disobedience to God. But to those people who listened to what God had said and said, I don't understand this. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But because God said it and because I love him and because he's worth it, because he rescued me from the lands of, land of Egypt where I was a slave and brought me into this promised place, he's worthy of my obedience. And so I'm going to honor him in my obedience. And by obeying his word. That person, when the fifth year came, imagine how much they enjoyed that harvest. Imagine how much they enjoyed that harvest knowing that it was from the Lord. That it was blessed by the Lord. That God's divine blessing was actually upon it. This is the same way I talk to kids about premarital sex. It maybe seem a little bit off the cuff. But God in his commandments and God in his word, he does not lay out things to harm us. He does not give rules and regulations to make our lives boring or terrible or anything like that. And he knows our hearts and he knows how we are. And he knows how, how it is when two people are in love, especially when they're young. God's not up there like, well, I'm disgusted at you being so passionate towards one another. Yeah. He knows. He made us. He knows exactly how we are. But he said, where I've put my blessing is in marriage. Where I've put my blessing is in marriage. And I want your life to be lived under the canopy of my blessing so that I can bless you in all that you do. Now listen, God forgives, right? And God is merciful, okay? And, 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 and I am not one of those people. I was one of the first year <laughs> stealing fruit, okay? And I'll make no bones about that. Please don't misunderstand me. But when I'm talking to my kids and I'm explaining to my kids, I want you to do better than I did. I want your life to be more blessed than mine. My life's pretty blessed. I mean, I'm a walking, talking, moving example of God's grace and mercy. And now we can take someone who was wicked and bless their life anyways. But I want my kids to do better than that. God is never doing anything to cheat you. But he's doing it so that he might bless you. That's the way God works. In the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy and praise to the Lord. And in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit that it may yield to you its increase. Here's the signature. I am the Lord, your God. You shall not eat anything with the blood, nor shall you practice divination or soothsaying. Any kind of witchcraft, any kind of fortune telling, any kind of astrology was forbidden for the children of Israel. Anything like that. 
You shall not shave around the sides of your head, nor shall you disfigure the edges of your beard. That's why the Jewish men have the curls on the sides of their heads, and they let their beards grow because of this verse right here. You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord. Now, and then he goes on to say, because I'm going to read this because it's all together. Do not prostitute your daughter to cause her to be a harlot, lest the land fall into harlotry and the land become full of wickedness. When it comes to the shaving of the head and shaving of the beard and the tattoos and markings and cuttings in the flesh, all of these things, the inhabitants of Canaan and different parts of the world who were steeped in paganism and idolatry, they did these things as a part of their culture and as a part of their worship of false gods. And God is specifically telling Moses, don't do the same things. You don't worship me the way that they worship their false gods. And so I don't want you to put markings on your flesh, whether it's a tattoo or a cutting of the flesh for the dead. And I don't want you to be shaving your head and cutting it so it's round like the way the shape of the sun is to honor Baal. I don't want you doing anything. Now, understand, Christian, this is not some sort of a, a rule saying Christians cannot get a tattoo. Okay, and there's different, and feel free to disagree with me. That's okay if you disagree with me on that. You can do that, okay? But God is specifically talking about paganism here. He's not talking about getting a picture of your kid or your dog that died or, you know what I'm saying? God, God doesn't care about that stuff. God knows the heart. You understand? God knows the heart. I've never got a, tat, got a tattoo. I always wanted to get a tattoo when I was young just to show dad, you know? <laughs> Uh, I always wanted to get a tattoo, could I would never, I, but I always, you know, my father, I would just, like, I hated when he would tell me, and he would pontificate, and he would have all these things, you know, the Bible says, blah, 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 and I'd be like, I don't care, and I could never get it out of my head, so I'd be standing there in a tattoo parlor, looking at all the pictures and stuff, and I could hear my dad's voice, what's that going to look like when you're 70? What's that, what's that going to look like? On your arms when they're not big and buff anymore, but they look like Bugs Bunny. You know, how's that? How's that big old bulldog gonna look? Then you know, what I mean? how's that? Oh no, that's not gonna work. That's not gonna work. You know, but I'll tell you what. If if there was if it was the right place, the right time, or something meaningful, I, I wouldn't be against getting a tattoo. I don't care. Maybe even around my neck. That'll fix you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I joke. Tattoos and me, I just wouldn't look good in tattoo. Same reason I took the gold hoop out. Some of you guys who only know me and Reese had the big gold hoop and the big chain and the gold cross and the Nike windsuit. Come on. You know. um, <coughs> sweet kid that I was. God is talking about worship. God is talking about not missing the sacred and the profane. Okay? If you got a tattoo, it's okay. It's okay. My daughter just got a tattoo. I asked her to move out. But you know what I mean? That's her business. Do not prostitute your daughters. Same thing. Well, because you guys know this from his, if, you, if you've ever studied history, that in the worship of their gods, a lot of times the young women were required to serve as temple prostitutes for a time. And God is saying, abomination, abomination, abomination. But I just wonder about the different ways in our culture where we can offer our daughters up as harlots, as harlots. Well, I'm going to put her on birth control because I don't want her to get pregnant. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. And there's different reasons for different things. I'm, no judgment here. I'm talking about our hearts. Okay? I'm going to teach my daughters and train my daughters to obey God's word and to do the things that God has called them to do. And why? And the reasons that God gave us these commandments. And then they have a decision to make. It's not my decision to make for them. I can't serve God for them. They have to serve God. 
but I'm never going to do anything in their lives to give them a buffer zone to allow for sin. God forbid. I'm never going to do anything that puts them in a situation. Well, you know, dad doesn't want me to, but he made it okay. You know, my kids know if they, if they were at a party and, 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 they, and they decided to drink and got drunk or something, they could call me. And I would come there. I'd beat everybody at the party. I would beat them all. No, I'm kidding. But they, they could, I'd come get them. You know what I'm saying? My older kids, the younger ones, I would beat them. But the older kids, I'd come get them. And I wouldn't say anything to them. I love them. They're my kids. I love them. And then the next day, we might have a conversation. I'm not going to sit there and pontificate to them. They know where it's at. They know right from wrong. I'm not God. I'm not the Holy Spirit. When they get old enough, I'm their father still, but I'm their brother in Christ. We're here to encourage one another. So I want to show my kids this is what God's will is. You have to make these decisions. You have to own this for yourself. I can't own it for you or do it for you. But never am I going to put them in a situation deliberately or allow things in, in their lives that I have control over that puts them in a situation that allows for sin. I'm just not going to do that. I think that's really what God's talking about when it regards, as it regards to, to us. Give no regard, Halloween's coming up, give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Anybody know the Long Island medium? I was there last week. What a great show. No, I'm kidding. The Long Island medium, I've never heard her, I've never seen her TV show or anything like this, but she is like big. And people go there and she consorts with your, your late uncle or aunt or husband or whatever the case may be. It's a mission medium, familiar spirits. God gives the children of Israel uh, an absolute, you may not take part in anything that's any, in any way witchcraft. Anything that has anything to do with any kind of divination or sorcery. Now remember that God is not saying because it's all fake and they're all charlatans. Because in Samuel, when Saul went to go, uh, King Saul went to go consort with a medium and ask her to bring forth the soul of the prophet Samuel who had died, he came forth. He said, why have you disturbed me? And Saul says, I need to know what's going to happen in the upcoming battle with the Philistines. And Samuel says, you're going to die. Your entire house is going to be destroyed. I'll see you later. You know what I mean? It's not because it's not real. It's not because it can't happen. Oh, there's a lot of cons and there's a lot of charlatans and fakes. We know this. Probably that's what most of it is. But it's also a very real thing. I would suggest to you that's the same reason when Dad talks about, when it talks about witchcraft and in Greek the word is pharmakia, we talk about drugs. And there's a big thing, is marijuana, is marijuana bad? Is it, should it be legal? Should it be illegal? All these other things. All of those things that open your mind up any of those things that put your mind in a different state are dangerous. Enter at your own risk. They're dangerous. There's an opening there. I did acid one time. I did mushrooms a bunch of times, but I did real acid one time. And, I, and, I, and no one will ever, could ever, oh, it was, the, it was just a drug, it was just a drug. Listen, there was a cloaked, hooded figure at the foot of my bed, in my bedroom, and I experienced stark raving terror that I've never felt in my heart in my life before or since. Stark raving terror. I knew that there was an evil presence in my bedroom standing at the foot of my bed for hours. You know, a lot of people who are materialists would just say, it's just the drugs, it's just the drugs, it's just the drugs. And I understand it is the drug. But what I'm telling you is that these drugs open you up. They do open you up. And it's something that we have to be concerned with. It's something that we should be mindful of. We shouldn't just allow for everything. 
We shouldn't just allow for everything. Now listen, I'm one of these guys that says, look, I would rather have the doctor prescribe you marijuana than opium. Okay? I would rather, if I had a choice, Frank, it's your choice, Sophie's choice. Will's got to go on one of two things. Oxycodone or weed. Oh, give him some weed. We're talking about prescribed by a doctor. Okay? I would rather have him be on that than opioids. Because opioids will kill you dead. But that's not to say, so next week at our church supper, I'm going to roll a big fat blunt and we're going to pass it around. We're separate, guys. We're separate. God has set us aside. Again, not to look at people in the world, look at him smoking his weed. He'd be smoking in hell, buddy. You know, that's not it. And when young Christians come into the church and people who have not been walking with the Lord long and they're smoking weed, I don't even deal with it. If they ask me what I think about it, I'll tell them. But I've seen for myself people come into the church, start listening to the word of God, their lives start being impacted, God starts reaching in, he starts maturing them spiritually and changing them, and they'll come to me and say, yeah, I quit smoking that weed. I'll be like, oh, you did? Hmm. Interesting. I didn't have to tell them. As they mature in Christ, God begins to show them. As he coincides with his word, I want you to be sober-minded. I want you to be vigilant, and I want you to be sharp. I don't ever want the enemy to come to you, and your borders are weak. Because of compromise, I want you to be strong in the Lord because he is your strength. Dad likes this one. You shall rise before the gray-headed. It's getting to be me too. You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. I am the Lord. We live in a culture and a society that worships youth and despises old age. And that is, a, that is, that is exactly the opposite of what God states in his word. We're to honor the elderly, especially those who are wise and who walk with the Lord. Fear your, and he notice what he says, and fear your God. And fear your God. Remember when Elijah, was it Elijah or Elisha? I can never remember which one. And the kids, the punk kids from the town were like, go on up, you old bald head. Remember? Elijah? Shah. It was Shah, the second one. Elisha. And Elijah called the curse down on him, and, and bears came out of the woods and mauled the kids. <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> I love it. You ever see a bear mauling? Just me? I watch them on YouTube. You know, the circus bear, and it's just sitting there. And then it says, the, brings a, here's the reporter to introduce the circus bear guy. And the bear's like, you know, like that. And like a bear, even a small black bear, you got no chance, man. Those things are so strong. But, but here's Elisha. He's the prophet of God. And here comes these punk kids from the town. And you know what the law is very specific about honoring and obeying your elders and especially your parents. And they come out, here's the prophet of God, go on up, you old bald head, you want to And I don't know what Elisha said. I don't know if he specifically said, calling all bears, you know what I mean? Or, but the bears came out of the woods and mauled these youngsters. Now, I hope they didn't kill them. You know what I'm saying? Just a couple of nice scars to remember them by, you know. But wow. But God did it. You know, honor, fear your God. Honor the old Fear your God, I am the Lord. If a stranger, we're going to finish up quick, guys, sorry. If a stranger dwells with you in your land, you shall not mistreat him. The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. God brings new people into the kingdom. God starts bringing, you know, 
uh, youngsters around and sometimes people who are from an old guard or something like that are saying, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like all these new people coming in here, I don't like this, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. We're all here to worship God together and study his word, that's all that matters. So you come from a, a certain culture and a certain upbringing, a certain background, and God starts bringing a bunch of freaks in here, <laughs> okay, like me, okay, that love Jesus and want to learn the word of God. We should love them as ourselves, man. There should be no distinction made. So God's saying, when, God, when I draw Gentiles to come into the land of Israel to become like one of you and to worship me and to honor and obey the word, you treat them just like they came out of Egypt with you. You treat them exactly the same as you would treat anybody else, the way I've commanded you. You shall do no injustice in judgment, in measurement of length, weight, or volume. You shall have honest scales, honest weights, an honest ephah, and an honest hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Anybody here get wood? <laughs> you ever get an honest cord? <laughs> you, ever get a, you ever get a dishonest cord? <laughs> I think that's a quarter of a cord. I don't think that's not. God says no. Absolutely not. Honest scales, honest weights, honest measurements. For us, guys, it's very simple. In all of your business dealings, do it with utmost integrity. Don't cheat. Don't lie. Don't steal in any way, shape, or form. Whatever you're owed, give it. Should we pay taxes? What did Jesus say? Render under God the things that are God's and render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's. That was an illegal tax he was speaking of. An illegal tax. And Caesar was a bit of a dictator. And God, Jesus says, so that you honor, so that you show that you're a person of God, pay it. Pay it. Okay? Honest scales, honest weights, honest ephod. No cheating, no lying, no falsifying business reports, no cheating on our taxes, none of that stuff. God doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to be honest. Therefore, you shall observe all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them. And the signature at the end, I am the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, and thank you, Lord God, for the instruction that we can find, Lord, even in the book of Leviticus. Though we're not under the law, Lord, we can still see you working in our hearts and uh, what your heart towards us would be, Father. We pray and ask that you would help us to be honest, upright, and full of integrity, Lord, in our lives before you. Confess to you the things that are not, Lord, and allow you to have your way in us, Lord. Though we fall seven times, help us to rise again and to continue to strain towards the goal and the prize set before us, Lord, to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, we understand that we're not... We're far, as a matter of fact, from where we want to be, Lord, but we also know, Lord, that in Jesus Christ, we're far from what we used to be, Lord. And we're so grateful, we're so thankful for that, Lord. And we ask that you'd help us to be a light and salt and the fragrance of grace and peace and love and truth in this world, Lord. So anybody else who might be interested, Lord, you could bring them to us. You could trust us, Lord, to give them the gospel and to give it to them correctly, Father. Thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for the work that you've begun in our hearts, Lord. We pray that you would bless every aspect of this ministry. We pray that you bless these Christmas shoe boxes, Lord, that they would go with your blessing and with your Holy Spirit, Lord, to touch these beautiful little kids, to touch their hearts and their lives and introduce them to Jesus, your son. And we pray, Lord, for the women's Bible study that's coming up, that you would use it powerfully and effectively in their lives, Lord, to bless them and to bless their homes, Lord. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for who you are, Lord. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody.